What's up, everybody? It's Mr. James O'Neill here, keynote speaker and owner of Mastery for All, where we partner with school districts across the country to ensure that all are mastering mathematics by highlighting the brilliance of our black boys, because if we can get them, we have all. Our motto here is mastery for all, empowered by equity for all, through the belief of expectations for who? For all, y'all. And if I'm saying y'all, you already know where I'm hailing from the South, by way of the Queen City, Charlotte, North Carolina. And I am super excited that you decided to join me. So welcome to season three of the Mastery for All podcast with myself. I'm excited because in this season, I'm coming hot and heavy with this question. Is math a racist subject? Now, I know some of you all are wondering about the title, so let me give you a little bit of background. A while ago, I was on LinkedIn and I saw an article asking the question, is math a racist subject? After reading that article, I was inspired to bring this subject to the space of my podcast and wanted to answer the same question with the brilliant minds I have met in the math education space dedicated to the mission of Mastery for All. How can we teach math more equitably? How can we give access to all of our students? These are the questions we're gonna be asking in that question. So I want you to be open to the things that these brilliant minds have to say, these colleagues of mine. So is math a racist subject? Well, let's find out. I'll see you on the other side of this question. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Is Math a Racist Subject? Brought to you by me, Mr. James O'Neill. I have a wonderful guest with me. You know, we're doing the entire series of Is Math a Racist Subject? And I have Mr. Robles with me. What's up, Mr. Robles? Hello, how are you all? Hey, hey. And we're super excited that you're here today. I'm just going to, you know me, I just want to get the conversation started. I want to dig into the brilliance of my host and really, really uplift this content and this subject. Is math a racist subject? So I want y'all to know the brilliance that I'm bringing today and the person of Robles, who he wants to be called as, as we continue to talk today. And so just to give you a peek at this brilliance, uh, Robles is currently located in Atlanta, Georgia. He is the founder and CEO of Math and More and is a tenured math enthusiast. Beginning his career in New York City in 2009, Mr. Robles has served all along the East Coast. Robles has served as math communities in various roles, including math interventionist, district math specialist, special education director, and school administrator. He's been all over everybody. Under his leadership at Seed Miami, ninth grade scholar scores on the Algebra 1 EOC, and that's the end of course test, increased by, listen, 111%. I got the real deal today. In a single school year, with approximately 60% of scholars obtaining satisfactory mastery are performing the Miami-Dade County Public Schools and State of Florida on the Algebra 1 EOC exam. Robles has a passion for mathematics. He holds a professional teacher certification in various states in mathematics and special education and will have completed his doctorate in education, Applied Learning Sciences, March of 2024. When not educating, Robles loves to fly and travel. His favorite vacation spot is Grand Turks. And so you listened, you heard me, and let's give it up. And super excited to have you with me today, Robles. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm appreciative for being here, and I appreciate that warm introduction. I'm happy to talk all things math today. Yes, sir. And that is exactly what we are going to do. We're going to talk all things math. It's funny, before we get into the conversation, I um, I turned 40 this year, and um, my original trip, appreciate it, um, original trip was to uh, Grand Turks. And so, you know, trying to get people together and make that happen necessarily didn't work out that way. And, and another trip came to mind. Um, I actually am going to take this trip 
trip to Africa, places I always wanted to go. I'm actually going uh, to Nigeria. No, I'm going to Ghana. I was talking about Nigeria with a friend today. I was talking going to Ghana um, for a week and and relax and to connect. And so, but I now need to know that for myself, I need to go to Grand Turks. Correct. And the Grand Turks is one of the most beautiful islands I've ever been to. I've been to a couple. Uh-huh. Grand Turks is by far the most amazing one that I've enjoyed. St. Martin is second, but Grand okay. Turks. Yeah. That was on my list too. I had a list um, and I had uh, Turks and Caicos. I had several places that I wanted to go, uh, but we, we're going to make our rounds. And now that I you co-signed on it, I'm definitely going to make it happen. Yes. So let's hop into this question. I always start off with the content, the subject of the podcast, and it is simply this question, Robles. What are your initial thoughts concerning the title, Is Math a Racist Subject? Please don't chew my head off when I answer the question. No, this is your answer. I I find it hard to believe to say that math is a racist subject when, in theory, how can a language be racist? If you don't know a language, then you learn it. It's very simple. Is access to math racist? Can the access to math be racist based upon what communities and areas and where you live and all of those things? Can that be racist or can that be hard to obtain? The answer is absolutely yes. But the subject itself, math, unfortunately cannot be racist. It's like That's like saying it's Spanish racist. Is French racist. Math is a language, first and foremost. So that's where I kind of stand on that. So your answer unequivocally is no. Correct. Got no. You. Got you. Got you. And so you just started talking about access and uh, how we create access, who we create access for. If I heard you correctly, that mm-hmm. is where you are saying that can be racist. Correct. Because what that? Go ahead. Because and the reason why is in certain school districts in certain communities, our communities in particular, black and brown schools that identify as Title One or needing improvement and things like that, we're saying, oh, who needs math? Why do we need math? And let's just take math and let's just get kids to algebra one. And why do we need algebra? We need more financial literacy subjects and things like that, right? We're creating that racist boundary ourselves. So because math is hard, because it's a language, because it is something that we have to strive towards and people don't identify easily as saying, oh, I'm a math person, which is one of the things that math and more tries to debunk that myth. Mm -hmm. We simply are saying um, that we don't need it. So we're creating that barrier in our own community, because when you go to different other counties, Gwinnett um, and different high affluent communities, they're not saying let's take out subjects. They're not saying let's let's remove these things. Mm-hmm. They're simply saying, well, you got what can we do? What do we have to do to ensure that you pass this class and not just pass it the way that we're passing it now in our communities where, OK, we just pass it with a C or a D and that's it. We're moving on. But understand and have mastery of the subject. Um, the whole purpose of ha- being able to have math as a foundation is so that way you can then have access to these steam careers that are paying six and seven figures that then can break generational curses within our own community. Mm -hmm. So why would we not want to pursue careers in that area? I love that. I love that. And when you said that these careers, because when we when we look in specifically this country right now, Math mm-hmm. is definitely a focal point, so much so that the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has thrown millions of dollars in ensuring specifically black and brown communities be supported and have access to mathematics simply because of what you just said. That access breeds in more income, more availability um, to step into these careers and really support and, like you said, break these generational curses. Um, in your experience with with math and the access, how have you specifically um, 
given access to black and brown communities um, supported because we read your this this wonderful um, these stats about how you've shown growth. What has been the thing that you have landed on that's really allows you to show growth or to build students to have growth that you've seen? So honestly, what I tell people all the time and what I what Math and More is found, um, based on in the foundation and how it became about and like my principles of like being an educator, I promise you all that I am not a mathematician. And I say that facetiously, of course, but I am not like if you try to put a math problem in front of me and want me to just spew it off the top of my head and say, oh, well, what's the answer to this crazy thing that you I'm going to be like, give me a second. Let me write it down. I'm going to solve it. And I'm going to be like, all right, cool. Here's the answer. What makes me great at my job and what makes me be able to get other students to invest is because I'm a math magician. I get students to fall in love with math and not be afraid of it and say, I can get this answer. I can strive towards this answer. And even if I have to grapple with the subject, it's okay because nothing in life is easy. So this is where I get students to say, all right, cool. Oh, I can make a mistake by empowering them with the resources. Like I, um, I, it's going to be kind of hard to see, but one of the things that I have in my classroom is a math dictionary. And the reason why I have a math dictionary in my classroom and use it during my tutorial sessions and things like that is because when you're in an English classroom or a social studies classroom or any other classroom and you mm -hmm. don't know the answer to something or you don't understand something or you don't know the word or know how to spell it, what do you tell kids to do immediately? Look it up, right? Yeah. Yeah. But if students don't have that same resource in a math space, how do we how do we tell them to do something on their own? So by empowering them to look something up, look at an example, review their notes, just getting them to increase their own ability or their own thinking about their thinking, metacognitive strategies, yep, yep, allows yep. for them to access the math on their own. And in fact, one of my former students, Zoe, told me one time, because the way I do my classes and the way I teach is I, I will show you how to do something and I will show you all the different ways to do it. Then I say, go and do it and figure it out on your own. Very simple. They used to get so annoyed at me with that because it was like, I don't know if I'm doing it right. Well, I don't know if you're doing it right neither until you get an answer. The following year, after they've had their test scores and things like that and all the EOC and all of that stuff, now they're in a new class with a new teacher. They don't have me no more. I'm not even in the building. I've, I've left. I'm becoming an administrator at this point. I get a text message like, Mr. Robles, thank you so much for doing your class and workshops the way that you did, because now I'm in this new teacher's class, this new space, and I have absolutely no idea what they're talking about. But because I have the ability to use my resources, my notes, look up things and find things on my own, now I truly understand math wow. because not only do I understand, I have a basic foundation of like concepts. Math is only for operations. No matter how high you go, there's only four operations, mm -hmm. multiplication, division, addition, and subtraction. So even if you're in a calculus classroom, now you might be dividing sine by cosine and getting 10, like you yeah, might be yeah. applying it differently. Right, right. But it's only four, so it's only four operations. You know those four operations, you can solve it all. And that's how I get students to be empowered, to not be afraid of it. They change their thinking instead of saying, I don't understand this. It's always a yet. I'm confused. I need clarity. Asking those specific questions like at step two, I got lost because you don't you know how to do something. You know right. how to add, right. add, multiply, and divide. You know what I mean? So I get them to increase their thinking about what they're thinking or understanding. At step two, I got confused. You lost me right here. All right, cool. Now I can explain that part. And then that's where you know, the science takes over of the learning and using those um, special education strategies and, and scaffolding and all that other good stuff, which we're not good. That's a whole conversation for another day. But the math part of it is just getting them to understand and say, I love math. Yeah. Yeah. The same way that I love math. And one of the ways that I do that, another way I do that is through Pi Day. Kids love Pi Day. <laughs> you know, I want to go back to one of the first things you said about being a mathematician, because I was on a podcast with um, some um, Dr. Kim Megger, 
in episode two, this would be episode three of this uh, series, and she was just talking about what a mathematician is, and we both identified ourselves as a mathematician. And so while you were talking, I, I, I looked at the definition again um, of a mathematician, just a simple definition, an expert in or a student of mathematics. And so though you are saying I'm a math magician, which I love, <laughs> never have, have heard anyone said that, you are still a mathematician as well because you are a student of math. And I, and I say that to just affirm you um, in that as if you needed the affirmation because you've been doing your thing. But just to just because I think that language among us, um, mm -hmm. black and brown people, because usually when you think of a mathematician, I literally, now I can't say usually, but I see a white man. I see a, a white old man or someone that is that does not identify like myself. So right. you're working your magic, but it's in that math arena, brother, and you are the mathematician magician. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Maybe I need to update my bio. Yes, you definitely need to put that in there because I'm telling you, like getting kids to love it is one thing that I I have fallen in love with as well because there's nothing like what you that's why I was listening so intently because it just brings me joy when I find another person um that's in the black and brown community and specifically a male in this community as well that that says that giving kids to love math is is a joy of mine because so many of our kids do not love it and they come in with the trauma they come in with the with the anxiety they come in with the phobia math is the one content where there is just trauma there's phobia there's there's anxiety there's just so much unpacking that kids don't want to try because of the because of the layers that comes with that so i want to just but it's also systematically installed into them in their household because how many of us have been sitting at the table? Because I know I'm one of them. Come on. And you just go to your parents and you're doing your homework, innocently doing your homework. And you're just like, your parents is, just, oh, I don't know. I, didn't, I don't know. But nothing about that algebra. I don't know nothing about that. You better call your teacher, ask your teacher tomorrow. I'm not a math. Like literally immediately it's yeah. shut down. Now, when it comes to ELA, your parents is like, oh, well, let's read it over. What does direction say? Let's they're they're invested in saying like, you know, let's work through this. Let's power through. You can right. get it. The answer is right there. They're right. They're easily able to support you in that. But as soon as you bring up a math problem, historically, in most black, black and brown communities, they immediately like, I don't know. Before you even get to the question, they're like, I don't know. What what do you believe is one of the reasons or some of the reasonings for that? Well, I hate to get spiritual on you, but the Bible says people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Go, and, go get whatever you need to get to, to make your point, brother. Okay. <laughs> but I'm just saying people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. If yeah. you don't know math, you can't you can't teach it if you can't. And if you don't understand it, you can't teach it. So if you just did it before as a parent, when you were in school, just enough to pass the class mm -hmm. and never looked at it again, then there you go. Um, there's teachers that are in school buildings right now that have to take like what is called general knowledge exams just to become certified. And they fail the math section because they don't take it. Math is an isolated subject language that is only taught and one time, if you're in K through 12 school, maybe 45 minutes to 90 minutes per day, every other day, and never cross curricular with other subjects, you might get a science teacher that's equally invested in math mm -hmm. that might pull a topic or two over from, yeah. uh -huh. from math and say, okay, let's do this. But for example, the race strategy in English, um, where you restate the question, you answer the question, you cite the text, and you explain your answer. That strategy is posted in English, social studies. Um, it is posted in some PE classes when you're doing those um, more intense um, physical education classes where you're dealing with health and all of that stuff. Right, right, it's, right. It's, it's, it's all over the space, right? But in math, it's just like, oh, well, that, was, that happened during math. I don't understand it. So the students don't even have the opportunity to solidify their understanding of the topic because they only are given an opportunity for 45 to 90 minutes a day. And that's it. 
And that's every other day, depending on what school they're in. I have never heard anyone break that down like that. But that 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 makes more sense in and in the age. And I know there's research behind homework as far as the effectiveness and whether it's not effective. Um, But the research ultimately says that learning is connected to meaning. And if it is not meaningful in the moment, the lack of connection that we have in that moment, just because I can solve a problem in front of you right now, if I don't bring meaning and that's why conceptual understanding and all those things, the meaning behind the mathematics is super important, because if I can connect to the why, then you can give me a situation that looks different. But because I know why this works, I can still apply what I know concerning this problem. And so I've never heard anybody say it like that. So I'm definitely going to put that in my repertoire <laughs> and just yeah. be reminded that the that students are not able to really engage um, throughout the day. This is this isolated content. And in even, and I'll speak to this and then move on to the next question. Even when I get among um, teachers and doing PD for everybody, if I say right then and there, we're about to do some math, Oh, the whole energy in the room shifts and changes. There is such a shift in that. And so when I think about that and I think about your journey and and the things that you have done, like what has been, because a lot of what I do, I'm passionate about the success of black boys in the math classroom. And the reason why and, and my followers, the people that listen to my podcast know this is because identifying as a black boy in the classroom. And if you put up any statistics and you say who these are the people that are proficient and if you break it down by race and sex and you look down at the bottom, that little bottom dot, and many times that is the representation of black males and their proficiency. We're always at the bottom. And so leading into this question, what has been your journey um, or success or lack thereof as in supporting black boys in mathematics? I would have to say, first of all, 80%, and I don't quote me on the stats right this second because I don't have them in front of me. Mm-hmm. 80% of the students that are enrolled in math and more are black males. Wow. Okay, just, before you go down there, what yeah. is math and more? And then you can go back to that question. So I'm sorry. So Math and More is an acute mathematics firm that I founded back in um, 2020. Okay. And it was when students were all taking math classes virtually online. And it was we support students both academically, social, emotionally and um, students in mathematics, but also more so in particular, students who are struggling with math gotcha. because the teacher was not able to support them or You know, like when everybody shifted to online learning, it was just like this crazy shift. Nobody knew what to do. So there wasn't that many resources. So Math and More tutors students in mathematics, K through 12 and some beginning college because they don't have the access or the support um, from their teacher directly or may need help with homework or whatever the case may be. So we do all math thing, math tutoring, intervention, all of that support. Okay. 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 And yes. now, thank you for that, yeah. because that is yeah. definitely needed. Um, so shout out to Matthew Moore and the founder and CEO <laughs> as yourself, because that support is it is needed, brother. And so back to the original question, now that we know math and what Matthew Moore is, you say 80 percent of yeah. your students, not to quote you, but just a ballpark percentage, a majority of my black boys. Black. Boys. Yeah. And the reason why, honestly, um, I can say that I'm successful is relationships. Mm. And Stephen Covey said it best. All learning starts with relationships. If my students don't have a relationship with me, then they're not going to learn anything. And I want to honestly say it even goes deeper into um, the fact that I don't just start with math with them right away. I start in like, well, what's going on? How are you? how was school, how was class, how was all of these things, right? Like, I want to know them as a person, or I try to get to know them as best I can, given the the circumstances. Yeah. Um, so I want to just say, honestly, it's relationships. Because I'm invested, they then become invested. And because I see and I affirm them positively and tell them that 
you can do it. And we joke, we laugh, we have fun. Like I really try to make math as fun and engaging as possible. Algebra can be very boring, right? Mm-hmm. It can be if we're just doing habituation and we're doing a squared plus B squared equals C squared and just doing the basic distance formula, it can be boring. But if we infuse it with some games, some good conversation, just like you would with your friends, right? Like you have good conversation with your friends and it, but can also have meaningful conversation as well. We make math again about this language. We have conversation about it. We grapple with it. I tell them like, Oh, well you can do better here. You can do better there. I provide them with feedback. And that's how I think that I've gotten um, their attention and been able to support them. Um, the way in the magnitude in which I have. So, I also want to before say, before you move on, let me just—I I want to echo what you mm-hmm. just said. You see them as people, and you Correct. build relationship with them before we even get into the mathematics. Before we get into the content, that's a person. That person needs to feel special. That person needs to know that the other person, myself on the other end, cares about who they are, and that takes down many barriers. Correct. And I also have to say, going back to statistics, only 2% of Black male educators exist in the United States. It's now 1.3, brother, after the pandemic. Yes. Well, new study says 1.3. That's. There you go. Yeah. So 1.3%, previously 2%. I think that I give them that reassurance by just being a black male. I, I and I, I can't say that there's a science to that. Um, I mean, there is plenty of studies that say that representation. Like, yeah. I need to know I can do this, whatever. But I don't do it for the science. I can literally walk into spaces, and I actually have here in Atlanta. Like this last school year, I supported a school. For the last couple of months, as they prepared for their Algebra 1 exam here in Georgia, I'll leave the school's name out of it because it was not the best of relationships. It did not end on the best of terms, but the students were impacted. Um, And I can tell that the students were impacted by my presence, not just because, and this goes to, um, and I don't want to get into a tangent, but I'll just share this. There was a psychologist or a mental health therapist that actually had came to me and told me that a student was struggling Mm -hmm. and they were acting out. I know this from being a special education teacher, but they were acting out because they didn't know math. Yep. And they were acting out in my space because they could, if that makes any sense, Mm -hmm. like. They felt safe enough around me to act out, but then also knew how far to cross that line. Yeah. So then we had started having subject uh, conversations and things like that with the mental health therapist pertaining to this student, the whole nine yards. Long story short, not only did I realize that I was, cause there were plenty of black males in this space. There were plenty of black males that were educators because they are in the school system. Mm-hmm. But What made me stand out or what made the relationship between me and the black boys that I was impacting was that I was not just this educator, teacher, whatever. I was an educator, a teacher holding them accountable. It's very different when it's an educator who is their coach. It's Mm -hmm. a very different, it's a very significant difference when it's just like the hall monitor or the dean or the whatever right like that's a different relationship yeah yeah when you are their teacher of record as the school system will call it and you are holding them to a high standard and not letting up on that standard and saying i don't want nothing less than this it's a different level of respect that you get from the students i you you are preaching to the choir member because the whole choir ain't here but the one of the members is is here today uh and, and what i really and the way what i connect with what you're saying um is that you have a way that you see them and you don't want them to be seen lower than what your expectation is of them and 
I can attest to that because being a black man in this space, like you said, is for far and few in between. I've been in spaces where I've been the only one in the entire district. Like when I lived in Pittsburgh, I was literally the only black male in the district that I went to different districts I went into. And I was the only black male teacher. Now, we other had other positions, but as far as being the teacher on record, like as you said, I was the only one in the district. Um, And so I've been in spaces where I know my presence matters, but I have a person and what I hear you say, I have a personal stake in this that I know that we can. Right. Mm -hmm. Like we can do math. And because I believe it, I don't take anything less than that. Right. Right. And so I I, want to ask you, why is it so important? We kind of talked about it in the beginning, but I, I want the people to hear it again. Why is math so important? And why is it so important for our black and brown community again? Access, access, access. Come on, sir. Um, I literally, like, I probably can turn my um, camera around should I choose to, but it's kind of not the clearest of projector projection right now. But I can turn around and I can focus on the Coca-Cola factory. They just need somebody to... Well, this was a couple of years ago, but they just needed somebody to measure and do like basic numbering for new formulas for different types of coke. Coca-Cola is a humongous million dollar company. They have sodas all over the world, different types of sodas and all this other stuff. But somebody basic with a bachelor's degree, maybe in applied math, um, which is not necessarily like high in math, but, you know, just applied math, mathematics, whatever the case may be. If one of our black boys or black students in general, male or female, would have been able to get a hold of that job where they were testing, tasting and having fun with soda all day, that was a six figure paying job. But they could not fail, fill the position because everybody is afraid of it. Why are you afraid to make money? That's what that's now. That's my new language, because that's what we got to talk to the kids now. Why are you afraid to make money? So if you're afraid of numbers, afraid of math, then you're afraid to make money. Mm. And that's the way I'm leaving it. Like, that's where I'm changing all my narrative, my language. You cannot be afraid to make money. So access is one of the most important things to ensuring math equity. Yeah. Um. There was a question one time when we were reading it over at a district and it said something about photography and camera lenses and all of these different things and um, getting it developed. And I was like, well, that's not going to be relevant to our kids because you don't develop stuff on TikTok. Once you take the picture and upload it to the page, that's it. Uh Like there is no like they won't be able to conceptually understand the question to be even able to process the math part of it. Right. So that in and of itself doesn't create equity. Change the language. You can keep the math in there, but change the language Mm -hmm. to something that they will be able to understand and relate to. So that's another way you have you have to create relatability. And that is an instructional decision. From someone who has read the problem, know their kids and Mm -hmm. know how to scaffold access to that. That takes skill. It takes intentionality. And it doesn't take you like, let me just pick something here that goes along with the standard that we have to teach and just throw it at our kids. Because then you're continually still compounding this idea that I can't do math. No, I I can't access what this problem is about, because even in I was doing um, I was with a workshop doing um, there was a math and ELA workshop. And they were talking about, you know, the the presenter asked if you any Anybody in here um, plays cricket and it was just like we have doctorates, we have people with their master's degrees. But if I put a, a cricket, um, uh, just a short description of that and we had to read that anybody that did that, that has no content knowledge with that would be lost because they're they have no access to that. Even with as smart as you are at with your intelligent self, you don't have access to that. So I, I love that you highlight that as an instructor. I go in and give my kids access, but I'm not ta- I'm not stripping the math away. I'm still giving them the math, but I'm giving it in a context that they can digest. It's even as simple as if you remember when your teacher was in um, if a teaching strategy, if you remember when you was in third or fourth grade and sometimes mm-hmm. a teacher would change up the question 
instead of it saying little Johnny and it would say James and Robles was at the park. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my name is in the math problem right, now. Right, 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 right. That creates relatability. That allows the students to say, oh, he put my name. First of all, now they invested because it's like, oh, you put my name in the problem. Now they're just like, oh, okay, well, now I can't get the question wrong because I'm in the problem. Because now my everybody problem. Knows. It's my problem. Right. It's my problem. Right. Exactly. So it's just simple instructional strategies that will help create that investment because students have to be invested in their own learning. Mm. They have to be. And that's like, we can talk on and on and on because a lot of what I do, like to your point, I'm a mathematician, I'm a math magician, I'm a mathematical magician, whatever you say. (laughs) Um, But honestly, a lot of what goes into reason why communities and black and brown communities fail at um, being successful in math is the instructional strategy behind it. Let's let's go there. Let's 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 go right there. What? When it comes to instructional strategies and the success that you've seen with all kids, and when I say all kids, um, my my business is called Mastery for All. And the reason why I can say all is because I'm going after the demographic that is usually forgotten. So if I lift black boys in mathematics, you will have everybody lifted because that is the demographic that is not lifted. And so let's go into instructional strategies. If as as someone who has seen success with all their kids, what do you believe are great instructional strategies? You already hit on it and then identify what what mistakes we're making as well um, as we teach mathematics to our students. So great instructional strategies is what I just mentioned, being able to. Access prior learning knowledge, right, being able to adequately look at pre-assessment data and say, this is the areas of need and opportunity for my students this school year. Mm. Before you get to a subject or a co- part of that lesson or that content or area, and then you fumble over it because students didn't understand the foundational skills to access the lesson. Yeah, You can, and we run into these issues all the time with like, I tell people the difference between somebody who is a content expert and somebody who has pedagogy. And this is why I feel like my understanding of math and I try to steer away from being a mathematician, even though I am, uh, is I think that my learning and the way that I learned to be an educator, because I became a special education teacher first. Yeah. has just always been my like I was good at it and I enjoyed it and I had fun with it, but I became a special education license first. And then I took the math exam because I was just good at it and said, all right, cool. Now I got both. So that's what helped me to, because now I know how to differentiate instruction. I know how to adequately assess students where they are right. uh, being able to stand in front of a classroom, see the deer caught in headlights look on students face. And quickly pivot is an art because now it's like, oh, I lost you. That also, that's an instructional strategy that has to be learned, Mm -hmm. but also could be taught because it's like, once you see that look, it's like, all right, well, can you somebody explain to me what I just said? And if they can't explain it in their own words, they've gotten lost. Um, So being able to pivot on the fly is an instructional strategy. Being able to understand student data and not just look at it is an instructional strategy. (sighs) Second part of your question is, um, what's some things that's done poorly? Yeah. And I might have to explain this a bit. Tell me if I do, because I have no problem with. But understanding the difference between differentiated instruction and watered down instruction. Oh, brother, I know what you mean, but I still want you to go there. Go ahead. Differentiated instruction creates access. Watered down instruction is saying a student um, with a disability or a student that has an exceptionality, there's 20 questions on an exam, they only have to do 10 and you give them the... um, the depth of knowledge questions that are on one and you give them those 10 questions and tell them that they scored a hundred. That is not 
an instructional strategy. And Another whoever's way of saying the same thing that you're saying, scaffolds, scaffolds, versus modifications. Correct. Scaffolds, like you said, give us access to the grade level rigor. Modifications brings down that access. You modify, right. you change it. And we're not talking, like you said, you've been a special ed education teacher and we're talking about decisions that teachers are making on behalf of instruction as far as who gets access. The grade level goal is the access. We want to access the grade level standard. But go ahead, I just wanted to- No, you're fine. And I I didn't use those particular words on purpose because- Yeah, I know. Everybody's not an educator. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, education has its own jargon in it. So, so, um, but then also that goes into another issue on why education is failing, because not everybody that's going into education is an educator. But we won't talk about that right now, because I would love to walk into Emory Hospital right now and say, I want to be a doctor. And because I have a degree, they say, OK, cool, you can be a doctor. Mm-hmm. I want to know who wants to allow me to operate on them once I they give me the lab coat. But we're allowing it in our school system. Yeah. Which is why we're not being as effective as we can be. Yeah, and I I totally hear what you are saying. Times are hard and we are, I was was literally talking to a group of leaders yesterday um, in Springfield, uh, Massachusetts, um, and was just letting them know that y'all, I get it, times are hard. We're just trying, sometimes we're trying to get a, a warm body in the building because we can't even find nobody. But in these transitions and in these times, we are getting loose, more loose and loose with what our expectations are. And the cultures of our schools are changing and the expectations for staff. I mean, let's maybe start there because we don't want to run nobody wrong. But like, it's just I, I hear all of that. I hear all that. I, I hear that we're in survival. But one, we got to We got to make that curve, that turn soon enough or we're going to have a whole bunch of crap like literally literally because we how can we teach math how can we teach math effectively if we're putting somebody who failed at corporate accounting because they got fired at bank of america and i'm just using an example yep yep now they have a change they need a job and they're good at math or numbers maybe so we're like, all right, cool. Let's give them a temporary certificate in math because they have a degree in accounting. Stick them in a classroom full of musty sixth graders. And say, <laughs> Not musty. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, let's come on. Like, I'm trying to create the reality of <laughs> yes, the situation. Sir. You got 13-year-olds, male and female, musty, going through the change of life. And you want this corporate accountant to have pedagogy overnight to teach them the Pythagorean theorem? Mm. That ain't gonna work. Come on. That ain't gonna work. I, I love, I wrote down your, when I asked you about the instructional moves, and I just want to echo them before I go into the next question, but building your prior knowledge and mm-hmm. the, your, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely taking stuff. I'm taking, we're blessed. I'm, I'm putting it in here and put this going in here. But, Understanding content expert versus pedagogy and that understanding that and you went into um, assessing students where they are even sitting and looking in a classroom. And so many times <laughs> I've done this in my infancy, inf- infancy, as far as teaching, um, knowing that the kids ain't with me. Oh, y'all don't want to ask no questions and and using that. And just saying, well, I'm just going to move on knowing they ain't with me and like making those decisions to be like, but that's not the right thing to do. They are afraid. I didn't know. You know, sometimes I'm going to get to your last thing. I'm going to come back to that. And then using our data and reading it and reading it and really allowing us to make the decisions, like you said, that will support a child getting access to grade level and not watering down the content. Um, and sometimes what when, as I was saying earlier, that I can forget that there were things that came quicker to me than others. And sometimes you can stand in your high mindedness and forget that that is not the truth for the majority of the, the kids that I'm teaching in front of right now. They are right. afraid of this content. They are scared. They, they are, are scared. scared. They are afraid, and they don't even halfway want to come inside the classroom. Exactly. So- I can, we can have a conversation about 
teacher pedagogy, how to create atmosphere and a math space, all of that other good stuff. We can have a whole nother conversation about that because I feel like everything that they do in an ELA classroom needs to be done in a math space, but then they don't connect the two. I had word walls. I had data. Oh, I love your dictionary, sir. I, yeah. I just, I want to go back in the classroom and just have it in the classroom. Like what? Like, come on, man. And even, even in that moment, like, oh, you just struck a nerve and I'm trying not to stay here. But I love in the beginning where you were talking about like you're building kids to have their autonomy. They're, they have their buy in. They're trying to figure out any other time if I want to figure something out. What I grab this phone like and right. any time that I don't understand something. I mean, kids, they Google stuff, YouTube stuff all the time. But when it comes to education, it's just like they're so used to sitting and getting from us that they forget that they have a say, they have a stake, and they have work that they need to do. And I love that the fact that you build them to do that. Like, I don't know what you're doing wrong because you ain't got an answer yet. Like, like right. that at that attitude, because in life, you're going to have to figure stuff out. Mm-hmm. I, I tell people all the time, like, I'm a teacher, I'm an educator, but I am building little people. Yeah. Like, I don't. So if you if you ever walked into my classroom space when I was teaching and what I tried to empower my teachers when I become an administrator is you need to create space and opportunity in your classroom for students to fail forward, but then also make choices and have autonomy for themselves. Mm. So in my classroom, there was scholar centers where they can go. They can get pencils and pens and notebook paper and all of these different things calculators were numbered, not so that way I had inventory, but because then they had a responsibility to ensure that they had their calculator, their number, these things. And these are different teacher, just tidbits, things that you do that empowers the students. That, okay. So I walked in my space. I have my calculator. I know if I'm missing a pencil, cause you're also creating that space of no excuses, right? Yeah. I don't give a darn if you don't have a pencil, a pen, an you know, when you walk in my space, you got to have a pencil and you know, you're going to be writing when you walk in here. And if you wrote with ink at any point during this math class, you know, you got a zero automatically. That was the expectation. If you if kids used to be like in my space, they would write with pen. And be like, I'm going home tonight and I'm going to rewrite it in pencil because I know that I was not supposed to have this written in pen. Just simple little things like that create space for students to say, I'm invested in my own learning. That's I'm going to go on a tangent real quick, and I just want to know your thoughts around so much with this whole pen and pencil as far as allowing kids to use whatever writing. What was your your reasoning behind pen not using pen in your class? Because we're in a space where we're making mistakes all day. Okay. And if you're writing in pen, that's permanent. And they're okay. not Gotcha. They're not proficient enough to, and I straight up told them that. I said, you're not proficient enough to solve a problem in pen. I don't solve my problems in pen. So who makes you to go in to do it? And, and now I got to sit here and read over your paper and it's crossed out and all this. There's a there's different levels to reason why, because one is like it becomes illegible. It's not, you don't even know what you wrote anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't know what you wrote. Now I got to grade it. I got to, mm-mm. Pencil, pencil me, please. And we had big erasers on every desk and pencils like golf. Like we a whole thing. But yeah, absolutely not. If you wrote in pen in my classroom, even if the answer was correct, the answer was wrong. Got you. I, I understand your reasoning. I would push on the fact that in in knowing that we're making mistakes, like could I graduate to a pen if I'm confident, like I got this, like um. Could there be space to graduate to the the pen of permanent? I permanently know this. I got it now and um, I can do that. But it's just, just a thought, just throwing it out there, because I, I, mean, I know there's been people that that fight against. You should let them show up and write whatever they want to write. And if they make mistakes, scribble that thing. out. I want to see the whole process. But I understand your reasoning. I, and I agree with both ways. Right. Like, yes. If there was no other writing utensil in the world. Of course, pen, pen it is. Back in the day, they used to have to do math and ink with the quill and yeah. dipping it in. They, they had no choice, right? 
But we're in a space where one, I'm providing you with a pencil. So what's your excuse? Yeah. And then two, why, if I set the expectation to, cause you're not proficient enough in it. Yeah. We can possibly graduate to writing in pen. Yes. I do as an adult, as a teacher saw some things in pen, cause it's the only writing utensil that I have access to. But if I told you from the beginning that you have to have a pencil, I'm providing you with a pencil and I've let the rule and the expectation be only write in pencil. Then now I'm holding you not only to the, the rule, but now I'm holding you to an expectation. I've set the expectation. These are the rules for this space. Either you abide by them or you don't. And the consequences for not abiding by them is not receiving a grade for your product. Got you. Got you. I want to even in thinking about that. um, So much of my thinking has definitely evolved as I talk to more and more people like you and and the people that I have been around in this mass space. Um, When I as I talk with you all then, and I didn't say that people that know me know that I graduated, I say graduated, <laughs> but I I left the classroom two months ago, about two, two and a half months ago, I graduated from the classroom, like graduated to a full-time entrepreneurship. Uh, if you're right, like I, I graduated to a life of struggle right, right. now. <laughs> <laughs> I got my cap and gown and I, I got my, my tassel. I turned my tassel as I, uh, uh, and graduated. But no, like when I think about all the things that and the conversations I've been having lately, there's just so much that I would want to revamp or I would want to change. And so my question to you, where... And it's one of the last questions, but I always love to hear people's thoughts on this. In in the the pathway of math and math learning and all things math, mm-hmm. what changes would you would like that you would like to see concerning the way it's taught? Um, we'll just say concerning the way math is taught. There has to be more of a full understanding of math in the elementary level. Uh, the yeah. same way that it there is subject matter experts in the secondary level, you know, when you go become a teacher, you take a subject exam and you teach that subject. Elementary teachers have been teaching math for years and they may or may not be experts at it. They take Elementary teachers take a certification exam that is covers all five subjects. Elementary school teachers can be the PE teacher, the science teacher, the social studies teacher. And most schools, the way that it's set up mm-hmm. is that you can be, once you are K-6 certified, you can teach anything. Yeah. In fact, I could technically walk into an elementary school and teach PE should the, the principal decide that that I could be a PE teacher. So we have to start making, and schools have started in that direction um, where they would make the third grade teacher where they're teaching just math and science and um, they flip or whatever the case may be. And there's like the one teacher that's teaching the thing, these things. And then now that teacher has become the, the subject matter expert. Uh-huh. But we have to make a greater push, especially in the African-American community, especially within the inner city um, school districts of getting teachers at the elementary level perfectly developed and become content experts to deliver the instruction effectively. Mm, 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 mm. Um, Yeah, I yeah, I can't even. Yeah. So I can say and because especially because third grade is such a foundational year, like, as yeah. you know, the, the K-12 scope of all things mathematics and all of these different things. Third grade is such a pivotal year. And I have a student right now who uh, love to death, adorable. Knows two, three, two, four, six, eight, 10, 12, 14, 16, 18, right? 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40. What's five times three? lost that's because the teacher was so ingrained in teaching them just the facts of math but they have no number sense yeah but that's because that's a teacher who is an elementary teacher in regard to the level in which they are teaching you're teaching elementary level math because you only understand it 
on an elementary level yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And when I, when I, when I, to all the elementary teachers listening to this, because nothing that you are saying is saying, is saying, Hey, that you are the fault of this or oh, absolutely no, not. nothing like that. What I know without a shadow of doubt that you are saying is that at that level, we have to remind ourselves that that's the foundation where kids either start loving it or start hating it. That's foundation. And if the foundation is rocky, if the foundation is shaky, if the foundation is unsure, then what are we building? Like when they move on to middle school, the middle school frustrated teachers frustrated with the, the elementary teachers, the high school teachers frustrated with the middle school teachers, the, the, the college professors just frustrated with the whole K-12 system because many times the foundation is not solid. And like you said, you don't have to be an expert, but we should be an expert. We should with with this content that has done so much damage to so many of our kids, especially our black and brown kids. We have to love them enough to be better at showing them math. Correct. Have to. We just and the other thing that I would change or one thing that I would implement and one thing that math and more is going to be growing to do eventually is just parent workshops around mathematics. Yeah. Getting parents to come out once a quarter um, or every other month or however the frequency and just be able to ask math related questions as it pertains to their scholars, math education. Yeah. Student schools don't, they have the one open house night or the one curriculum mm-hmm. night yep. where they go over the course for the whole 12 months or 10 months. And that's it. Yep. But there needs to be more of an emphasis with it as it pertains to math. So that way parents are equally as invested and there is a level of understanding in a safe space so parents can say, no, I, I get it. I get it, mom. I get it, dad. You may not know math, but what's your question? Mm-hmm. How, can, how can I help you? Like I did um, a parent night pie day one year at a school that I worked at. And it was amazing to see and have the students teaching the parents how to do math or reminding. Let me not say teaching because I'm sure the parent knew, but reminding them how to do this particular right. thing. So they had to part of pie day um, activity. They had to weigh the pie. They had to find out the circumference, the diameter, what was the radius. Um, and then ultimately using all of that to find the ratio of pie, um, which then they realized, regardless of the size of their pie, their pies were all three point one four and some numbers after that. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I mean? So like it all started with the root of three point one four. But, you know, getting once parents saw that it was like oh this is not that bad and oh wow it was so many aha moments that yes, night yes with teacher i mean with the students teaching the parents and the parents was like oh i remember that and that because the math ain't changed let's be very clear yeah no matter how much we talk about how math is the new math and the new right this, right 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 two plus two is four when you go to the grocery store <laughs> and five packs of fruit roll-ups in there and they five dollars each they 20 that's 25 dollars and right. they don't matter oh you better <laughs> It's gonna you be draw. Tough. You can draw an aerial model. You can you, <laughs> you can you can do all these visualizations at at the same time, or you can use the algorithm. It's still gonna be what it is. I I love the parent idea, man. I have thoroughly, man, we're blessed. I have thoroughly enjoyed talking with you and your your take on math and your journey, your mission with math. That was one of my questions, but I don't have to ask you what your mission is because you already said your mission over and over and over what your mission is as it relates to math and supporting specifically our black and brown kids by supporting us all. And so the work you're doing, you're doing is empower, empowering and it is impactful and it is necessary. So again, hear it from me, brother. What you are doing is necessary. How you show up in this space is necessary. And from me to you and all those that are listening, we are proud that you have taken on this mantle to support all our kids and really give us access to math. Is math racist, Robles? What you say? No, it's not. It's not racist. All right. This has been another Is Math Racist as a Math a Racist Subject podcast. This is Mr. James O'Neill, Mastery for All, signing off with my brilliant brother, Robles from Math and More. Have an amazing day, everybody. 
Thank you, James. You're welcome. Man, oh man, I hope, listen, you got everything you needed from this episode. And I also hope that you got some clarity as far as is math a racist subject and how we can do better with the teaching of mathematics. As you already know, I'm a speaker, coach, consultant, and PD slash workshop provider. I would love to partner with you and your school, your district, or maybe even your organization as it relates to supporting the math of mathematics for all of our students. Feel free to reach out to me through email at info at Mr. James O'Neill. O'Neill is spelled O-N-E-A-L dot com or check out other resources at my website at Mr. James Follow me on Instagram or Facebook at Mr. Dot James O'Neill or LinkedIn and Twitter at Mr. James O'Neill without any dot. Listen, I am super excited that you decided to join me. Have an amazing day.